today is the last week in Follow the Recipe. Uh, next week, again, we start New Way to Be Human. And today's message is called Train Like You Mean It. Train because it matters. Train because what you're doing is so important. It requires training. In fact, I'm going to challenge you a little bit today. You know, we started this year talking about wholeness and it was all about us becoming whole, whole, whole. But at some point, now it focuses outward. We grow up in the faith and we say, okay, now put me on the field, right? And uh, so I'm just challenging you a little bit. And so what I need you to do is actually find a way to take notes today. If you don't normally take notes, take out your phone, write on your friend's lap, whatever you need to do, but some way take notes. And on top of that, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and our ushers are going to bring you a Bible because you need to have the word of God somewhere around you because normally I enable you and we put all the scriptures up here. Today, we're only putting up a very few. The rest, I want you to find and flip because this is part part of training. We got to be familiar with the word of God. And there's no condemnation if you're like, I don't know where anything is in this book. Today's the day to start. Today's the day to know and flip around and find out. And I kind of try to lead you and where those places are. And if fumbling around in the Bible is too much today, all of the addresses, if you want to call it that, of the scriptures we're talking about will be up on the screen. You can write those down and use them as your time to meet with God this week. Like, okay, I'm going to read that scripture this today. And, and on Tuesday, I'm going to read that one. Are you following me? Say yes. It's all about training. Because it matters, right? Train like you mean it. We're in this series talking about following the recipe, talking about growing up in Christ as a disciple. And that is not a dead end statement. We become disciples so that we can make other disciples. It is a church that believes that we help people find abundant life in Jesus and it's disciples that find the abundant life. Anything else falls short of that. But fully walking and living as a disciple, we find this abundant life by following the recipe that Jesus followed when he grew the first batch of disciples. We talk about the 12, but there were more than 12 disciples or 70. There was lots of people following Jesus and he followed this recipe. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote to like a whole bunch of the New Testament, he followed this recipe himself as he became a disciple of Jesus. Churches use different words, but these are the words that we're using so that we have context, we have unity, we have these wayfinders. like, okay, these are these four ingredients, these four parts. We've been talking about them this whole series. Number one, meet God. Everyone say, meet God. Yes, this is through salvation, through a beginning relationship with Christ, but then it's ongoing. Never stop meeting with God. Secondly, discover who I am in Christ. We sang the song this morning about identity. The accuser says one thing, the Lord says another. As you walk and meet with God, you discover the truth of who you are. And in so doing, you become more like Jesus. Just looking, smelling, acting, talking, feeling like Jesus. I want that more every day. And the, part of the result of this is what we're talking about in this series. It's leading others to do the same. This is, again, not a dead-end proposition. You're not the Dead Sea, but you are a river which God is flowing through and other people are becoming disciples. If you're doing these four things, meet, discover, become, lead, you say it. Meet, discover, become, lead. I said it by myself. You say it. Meet, are they up there? Oh, the cheat sheet is up there. Take it away. Let's try it one time without it. One, two, three. Me. You're geniuses. I love it. If you're doing these things, you're 
a disciple experiencing the abundant life. In fact, if you want to kind of do like a dipstick into your soul and pull that out and say, Lord, am I a disciple? You can ask yourself this question. Do I make disciples that make disciples? Pull it out like yes or no. If the answer is yes, then you're a disciple. If the answer is no, then you're a Christian. And listen, being a Christian is an amazing thing. It's a great thing. It's just an incomplete thing. Remember what we said last week. Christians are those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Disciples are those Christians who actually do what Jesus says. And Jesus said, go and make disciples. And so the life of a disciple looks like somebody who's making disciples. And that's the fullness of the abundant life. Both Christine and I have experienced in this last season as our church has swung to like fully invested in making disciples, this newness of faith for us, because the first three meet, discover, become, you kind of live from the time you become a Christian through all your Christian life. Like, Hey, I'm learning, I'm becoming. And really after a while, like, it's all about me. I'm, and eventually you take that final step and realize I've done all this other stuff so that I can go make disciples. And man, the abundance, the life that follows in that is just incredible. Um, any skydivers here? Like, has anyone jumped out of a plane with a parachute in this congregation? Just you, Logan? That's amazing. Incredible. Any, no, no one in the church? Indoor skydiving. There you go. Yeah, Christine's done that too. You're like floating over the giant fan. Yeah. Don't try that at home. I had a pastor friend once share from a platform. He said, I was in the Marines and we were there and I was talking to my drill sergeant and I said, you know, I've always wanted to skydive. And drill sergeant being drill sergeant is like, no, you don't. He's like, yeah, I do. I'm like, no, you don't. He's like, how do you know what I feel inside, you can't tell me I don't want to when I know in my spirit I want to. And the drill sergeant said to him, like, listen, if you wanted to skydive, you would have skydived. Dived. Divin. <laughs> you would have done it if you wanted to do it. But you haven't done it, so I don't believe that you want to. Mm-hmm. We have things in life that we want to do, and you better believe we do them. Right? And then we have things we know we don't want to do and we avoid them. And then we have those things that we want to feel good about, the idea that we may eventually do them. So we say stuff like, I want to do that. I want to get my health in order. This is one for me, honestly. I want to learn a second language. I've been saying that since 1995. Like, I'm going to go on these mission trips to these places that speak Spanish, so I better learn Spanish. Even by, what's that thing? The the yellow, ba not Babel, Rosetta Stone. Rosette, Rosetta Stone, is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. Yes, Rosetta Stone. I stuck it in the computer. The lady's talking Spanish. I got bored. That was it. <laughs> I want to, I want to change careers, right? <laughs> Me? <laughs> I'm not changing career. I like my career. I'm just making a list for you to ponder, right? I want to make disciples. And here's what I was thinking. Actually, I was talking to the Lord about writing this message. He's like, motivation is not the issue. In the sense that if you were to ask any true follower of Jesus, do you want to make disciples? 100% of the time, you're probably going to hear, yes, of course. 
I have found life in Jesus. Why wouldn't I want that for anybody else? I want to make disciples. The issue is we have a competing motivation. And oftentimes, if not almost every time, this other motivation outweighs the motivation, the want to make disciples. I want to make disciples, but fear makes me not do it. The motivation of fear, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to do, if I'm going to look like a fool, they're going to reject me as a friend, I don't know how to approach this conversation. So all of this weighs up to me not doing the thing that I want to do. Fear. So what I hope this message today will do is take fear and make it go like this. So that the motivation, the pureness of heart of the follower of Jesus to make disciples will be all that's left. And you would march forward out of this place from this series saying, you know what? In my life, I'm going to start making disciples. I want the trail behind me to look like a legacy of people following Jesus. I want to do that. But how do we do that? Here's, Here's the overarching theme of today. One simple sentence. We need to kill ignorance with training. You taking notes? Write it down. You all took your phones out to take notes. The Yo Pros back here are all typing in their computers. Oh, you actually have pen and paper, Carly? You're an absurd person. I'm just kidding. I admit that as a compliment. You're absurdly amazing. Now, my daughter Audrey is 16, and uh, she's one of the best drivers at 16 years old that I know. Probably because I don't know a lot of them. But when she started, it was not that way. It was really bad. (laughs) Now, when you watch these movies and people are learning to drive and they do like the movie scene where people are going like this, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? You think, well, that's just a movie. It's real life, right? So the, the foot doesn't know the accelerator just right. The foot doesn't know the brake just right and the turning radius of the wheel. And so stops and starts and turns were like madness. And stop signs were optional, right? (laughs) Anyone else have a 15-year-old recently that became a 16-year-old? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? But now she's incredible. And the reason that it is so is because she more, like more than Owen did for sure, came to us all the time like, can can we go driving? Can, Can we go driving? Can, can we go drive? When she was 15, getting a learner's but can, can we go? Can we go? Can we go? Can we go to the parking lot and just park? And we would literally go to the Catholic church or over near the offices where there's all those empty spaces. And we would just park, 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 all parking, right? All through training, she became proficient even at 16. When we had our first child, at least for me, I can't speak for Christine, I came home with the kid terrified. Like when they're like, you can leave the hospital, like, can we just stay for like six more years? Like, Please, you guys do everything. You know everything. If we go home, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never had a kid before. They just give you a kid and you go home with it. It's amazing, right? So we're at home sleeping. I'm like, is the thing alive? Is the thing breathing? Is it the thing? Is the baby eating? All these things, just constant stress and worry. You know, like I had a pet, the first pet I ever had, and I stayed up all night afraid it was going to die. So imagine what happened when I got a baby, right? Oh, my gosh. By the time you get your third kid, you bring them home, throw them on the couch, like, watch some TV. (laughs) You become proficient. 
I mean, this is an obvious statement, but I want to show you biblically how training changed the game for four different people, four different sets of people. And we need to learn from this about how we can be trained up and remove ignorance. Christine said this verse in week one. I want to put it before you again. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, by the way, if you're brand new to church, Paul is one of the first church planners. He was given the Holy Spirit by the Lord and he went out throughout the world making people disciples and building churches. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The Greek word, the word that the Bible, the the New Testament was written in here is the same word that we get our word mimic from. It's mimeo, mimic. Now mimicking, you could think mocking, but really this Greek word means to mimic with honor, something you want to emulate in another person. In fact, in some of your scriptures, your Bible may say, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that I, uh, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Again, this is positive imitation. You've heard the phrase, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Have you heard that phrase? Yes. I just make that up myself. It's why when you say, like, I see Pastor Valdemir down here. Pastor Valdemir, when you walk in a room, the joy of you challenges me, and I want to imitate that. I want to have his smile, right? I want everything to be positive and, like, Brazilian. I don't know. I see Pastor Drew. You ever hang around Pastor Drew? You immediately want to imitate his passion for Jesus, the depth the, the, the way that he prays, the way that he thinks about Jesus, the way he loves the Father. Like, let me, I want to emulate that, right? Here's Tish over here. Y'all know Tish is our kids director. She is just, just crushing it over there. She's, she comes here early. Then she goes over there, leads a hundred and some odd kids to Jesus. And then in her spare time, she comes back to youth ministry every Sunday night simply because she is committed to making disciples of the next generation. And when I see Tish and she's talking, I want to emulate her depth, her wisdom. Her, she's got quiet strength. Like you wouldn't know it till you bowed up against her. She's like, not that I've ever, we've never bowed up against each other. I don't know where that came from. She's got strength. I want to emulate these things. I want to imitate them. And it's not mocking. It's like, whoa, something in you wants me to rise higher. So I Yeah. Did you know that speaking language, learning a language is really just imitation? It's all that it is. Your babies, kids around you, if you don't have your own babies, they're listening to you speak and they're forming the way that their tongue works to make sounds until the muscles in their tongue become strong enough to make the words. And if you're British, your tongue forms a little different. If you're Brazilian, you say bonjour. And wait, it just, it's different, but it's all imitation. It's all mimicking. It's all emulating. It's all training. We want to make disciples. But here's the thing. It takes time. How long does it take a child to learn how to speak? I mean, I don't really even know. I think Eli's nine and some of the words that come out of his mouth, I'm like, you're still in training. I'm 49, and I think I'm still in training, right? Still learning these languages. We want to make disciples, but we forget that it takes time in training to learn how to imitate Jesus, 
to learn how to discover our identity and become who Jesus is. It takes time. Impersonators don't look once at whoever they're impersonating and turn away. They study that person. They get their mannerisms and their hand motions. And I'm always got my hand in my pocket. I'm always grabbing my throat. And I'm like, if somebody were to impersonate me, they would do the same things. Like, I don't know. Now I'm self-conscious about it. It takes time. If we don't invest time to imitate Jesus, we end up giving the world something that we call Jesus but doesn't look a thing like Jesus. Right? Do you need me to say it again? I'm going to say it again for myself. If we don't invest the time to imitate Jesus, to watch him closely, to, to pattern ourselves after him, we end up giving the world something we call Jesus but doesn't look a thing like Jesus. Nothing like him. Hmm. Without taking the time to become Jesus, we end up replicating an unhealthy version of Jesus. It's like the gospel goes into the telephone game. You know, remember the telephone game or the whisper, like I say something and the next person, and by the time it gets to the end, it's something distorted, it's something diluted. And what we need to do is go back to the original statement, the original word, the original copy and pattern ourselves, imitate, follow the example of Paul who's following the example of Christ. Really, you can just skip over Paul and go straight to Jesus. So I want to take a tour of training biblically today, and I'm just going to give you where the scriptures are. You can study them this week. I pray that you do. I pray that Sundays are not the only one hour you spend with the Lord because then we're not imitating Jesus like we could if we would spend more time in his word and in his presence. Number one, David's training. Maybe you're familiar with this, but it's fascinating to always be reminded of David training with the lion and the bear. David was just a young man. He's kind of a, kind of the runt of the family. He's got big brothers. They're all off fighting the war. David's tending the sheep. He gets sent to his brothers on the front line and he gets there and he sees all the Israelite army shaking so much that you can hear their armor rattling. And they're all afraid because there is the giant Goliath. You can find this, by the way, in 1 Samuel um, 17. And Goliath, this nine-foot giant, is standing there in front of the Israelite army saying, hey, send one person to fight me. Whoever wins this one-on-one -on -one battle, they are the champion. Their, their country, their victory is theirs. And day by day, he comes out and he taunts, he chants, he yells. And day by day, the Israelites shake in their army till David shows up, shaking their armor till David shows up. And David's like, who is this dude to defy the armies of the living God? He's like, I'll go fight him. Young man, David, this is like a 40-year-old Navy SEAL, nine-foot giant. And so he, got, he gets brought to Saul, the king, and this is what Saul says. 1 Samuel chapter 17, you'll see the scripture address listed. 1 Samuel 17, 33 to 37. Is it up there? Oh, nice. Saul replied to David, looking at him, hey, dude, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. What are you, nuts? I'm paraphrasing here. You were only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. He's literally like grown up like a green beret. He is seasoned. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, listen to this, David seized the lion by its hair, struck it, and killed it. 
I've been to Africa. I've seen lions in the wild. You don't go near them, much less grab their hair. <laughs> Craziness. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now listen, pay attention to verse 37 because it tells us what David has learned from his training. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, if you didn't pay attention to verse 37 and just heard about David being trained by the lion and the bear, you would think, wow, David's had lots of repetitions with incredibly difficult enemies. And he's become proficient dealing with the lion, dealing with the bear. He's flexed his muscles. He's learned the way to kill things. And that's the way he was trained. He's now a warrior able to handle an enemy. Until you read verse 37. Because David didn't learn that he was strong enough to fight or a lion or a bear or a giant. What David's training taught him is that God doesn't lose. Never. He's, and by the way, David's going to need that a lot. Eventually, he becomes anointed to be king, and then he becomes appointed to be king. He has enemies that come against him from the left and the right. His own king before him, Saul, tries to kill him numerous times. David needed to learn at an early age that God doesn't lose, that victory is assured. If we were to get this in our spirits as a church, that we cannot fail, what couldn't we do? What couldn't we overcome? David's training wasn't that he was great and mighty. David's training was that God is great and mighty. See, training matters, training matters. Here's the second thing. Jesus was trained. Jesus' life included 30 years of training. If you turn to Luke chapter 2, which is to the right of 1 Samuel, just keep flipping right if you have a Bible open. Uh, and let me just kind of catch us up on this story. Jesus in Luke chapter 2 is 12. We get one of the very few accounts of what happened to Jesus in his early years. It's the Passover time, which is the time when all of the Israelites would gather together in Jerusalem to celebrate what God did for them in releasing them from Pharaoh in Egypt, this, this entire Passover story, which is an incredible story in itself. They get together to commemorate that, to celebrate that. They're all there together, Jesus and his family, and his family leaves. Now, that might sound crazy, but back then their families were these massive caravans. They traveled in these big groups, just massive, massive. Imagine going to Disney, there's like 65, 70 people. They're all one family. They're all wearing one shirt. They got the flag. They're walking around that, right? And so the family leaves. They're one day away from Jerusalem. And Joseph is like, Mary, you seen Jesus? Mary's like, did did we lose the savior of the world? <laughs> they can't find him. It goes on to say that they look for him for three days and eventually they get back to Jerusalem. Let me pick up the story. After three days, they found him. This is verse 46. In the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. This is Jesus, the son of God, he who came from heaven. Yet here he is sitting under the council of teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, which was a sign of mastery. In those days, this is how they used to teach. The teacher would say, what's two plus two? And the disciples, the students would say, what's three plus one? What's two times two? What's four plus zero? 
What's six minus four or six minus two? <laughs> I went to university. They were showing mastery by asking questions back. He's there asking them questions. Everyone who heard Jesus was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. He's like, hey, y'all left him. Anyway, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And again, this last verse, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is Jesus. And some will wonder, like, what if Jesus just started doing miracles when he was six? Like he's in the lunchroom and he just levitates the brownies to his table. Right? I mean, they didn't, well, you, you, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I mean, what if he, there's like a bully in school and he just like sends a rock flying without touching it, like using the force. Trips a kid running. I mean, Jesus could have done all these things, but Jesus didn't because it was not his time yet. I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. What we learn from Jesus' training is that there's never time wasted. Time is being as as opposed to wasted, it's being prepared. Because think about it. If you put the Savior of the world on the earth, you would think, wow, he just wasted 30 years. He could have been doing so much more. But it wasn't wasted. It was a time of training that made him ready for the three years of ministry that he accomplished. Would you rather arrive at the right time with the right training or the wrong time with no training? And in Jesus' case, he arrived right when God said, this is the time. I've trained you. And it's amazing if Jesus needs to grow in wisdom and stature. What does that mean for us? Jesus! Still look at that verse and marvel. Disciples also trained for three years. These guys who ended up changing the course of the world. Luke chapter 9, this is an awesome story. Basically, Jesus is about to send the disciples on a mission trip. It's like, all right, we're going. Y'all are going to go out to the, to the neighboring villages. You're going to have a mission trip. You're going to be gone for a long time. And listen to what he says to them. Verse 3 of Luke chapter 9. Take nothing with you on your mission trip. Right? We just had a group. There's some of them here that got back from Nicaragua. What, what would Jesus came to you say? Just get on the plane with what you're wearing. That's it. No deodorant. No toothbrush. Because that's what he says. Take nothing for the journey. Take no staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Don't even take an extra shirt, Jesus says to them. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out on their mission trip, went village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Why would Jesus send his disciples on a mission trip with nothing? Seems a little like, how are they? What are they? And you, you, you're smart people. Let me read to you something that happened later. Luke chapter 22, Jesus says the opposite. In verse 35, he says, Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you out on that mission trip without purse, bag, or sandals, he asked this question, Did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. 
He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. So on this trip, it's okay to take stuff. On this trip, it wasn't for the sole purpose that Jesus could ask this question later. Hey, when I sent you on a mission trip before and you took nothing, did you end up needing anything? And their answer is no. In our training, the disciples are learning as they're going to need, as they get scattered across the face of the earth later in their lives, where you go, you can trust me that I will provide. And I'm training you now for what's going to happen later. I'm building this faith in you. Trust. You know, at Illuminate Church, I used to be so worried about the money at the beginning. I don't know if you've started a business. This church isn't a business, right? So don't let me get confused, but there's finances that are necessary to pay staff, pay for the high school, pay for ministry. And if you run out of those things, you start to eliminate staff, this place, whatever. So at the beginning of Illuminate Church, which will be 10 years old in October, it was, I was just like, man, there's a lot of pressure, which is ridiculous. Because God, every time, for all 10 years, has not only shown his faithfulness, he's shown his generosity in ways that are hard to describe to the extent that very soon we'll be moving across the way, moving into our brand new property. Come Lord Jesus, make it happen, we pray. Timing, excuse me, training teaches us to trust the Lord. Training teaches us that his timing is perfect and training teaches us that God wins. Here's the last one. Uh, you have access to the head trainer. I need you to know this. Paul himself was trained by the head trainer. He becomes an assistant trainer. I'm an assistant trainer. There's lots of assistant trainers, the pastors here in the room, the staff. We're all assist- you're an assistant trainer in some ways when you're turning and helping somebody to the faith in Jesus. But there's one head trainer, Paul. If you go read Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 2, you'll find that he, after he was converted to Christianity, went down into Arabia and was with Jesus for some period of time. Some believe it's three years. Uh, that's not really clear how long. But it says distinctly that he met with Jesus himself follow Paul as he follows Christ. He got away with Jesus personally. I got to be careful how I say this next because I don't want, I'm not trying to say anything against the people I'm about to say, nor against you. But I think in America, we know better the voice of Stephen Furtick and Bill Johnson and Robert Morris and in this small part of the world, Tim Ingram, than we know the voice of Jesus. And we keep going to the assistant trainers, which is fine. But the best is to hear the voice of Jesus for yourself. There's a scene in the book of Acts where uh, there's these people trying to cast out demons. And they're not having any success. And the demon says to them in Acts chapter 19, one day the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Like, and I'm wondering if you would ever say to Jesus, I know Furtick and I know Johnson, but who are you? Like if Jesus were to speak to you, would you know it? Again, I'm not downing the ministries of other people. They're powerful, but there's one more powerful than everyone. His name is Jesus, and you have access to him to get personally trained by the head trainer. 
How does that happen? Well, here at Illuminate Church, we try to make it simple and obvious. We start with something we call life step one. It moves into life step two. And it spits out in the things we call D groups, discipleship groups. Today when you leave, there'll be people outside. There's Alyssa there. Who's the male counterpart of you today, Alyssa? Is Dakota with you? He may be there later. There'll be a man and a woman out there at least if you want to be a part of a D group where learning the voice of Jesus through the study of his word becomes something that is crucial in your life. There's a training that happens week in and week out in these D groups. Same thing with C groups, our community groups. Same thing with E groups. They're happening right now. There's a grace marriage class happening on this campus over and up. What do you call those things? Portable, the teacher. (laughs) portables. If what we're doing matters, we need to train like it. We need to act like it. I want to tell you that the trial that you're going through right now is the training you need for the victory that's coming. The trial that you're going through right now is the training that you need for the victory that's coming. And God is preparing you to slay the giant. God is preparing you to face the cross. God is preparing you to be a disciple that goes out to the ends of the earth and each of them face their own cross. He's preparing you now for the victory that lies ahead. And this is a whole nother sermon, but much of the Christian faith is connected to suffering. Suffering for the gospel in the midst of the abundant life. Sounds crazy. Go Go read the book of Philippians. We're going to be studying it a lot in the next few weeks. But Paul talks about it. I want to identify with Christ's suffering so I can identify with his resurrection. God's training you for the victory that lies ahead. Ten years ago, sitting in my house, and uh, we were there with a bunch of prayer warriors, wise counsel, deciding if we should launch this thing called Illuminate Church. And uh, we're just praying, 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 praying. And the whole time, I already knew the answer. And what I felt like the Lord said to me, he said, Tim, your whole life, I've been preparing you for this. And that's all I needed to hear. Because I spent years at the University of Florida leading something called Campus Crusade for Christ. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I led the student foundation of the United Methodists called the Wesley Foundation at the University of Florida. I was just doing that. I didn't know what I was doing. I started in the student ministry because I couldn't find a real job. I didn't know what I was doing. I just lead, I just kind of doing something t- so I could add an income until I grew up. Stayed there 12 years. This past Sunday, August 21st, was 27 years of ministry, 10 of them here at Illuminate Church. And the whole deal, listen, all I'm trying to say is all of that time, the 17 years before the 10 years started here, was God training for the victory that's happening here at Illuminate Church. And those are some dark, hard times. Great times, but also really troubling times. And I wanna give you hope. There's one day going to come very soon where you're going to look at the mountain and you're going to flex your muscles and say, God, everything that you've been doing in my life has prepared me to scale that. So up I go. And you may be at the base of it right now. 
And maybe the Lord is saying to you today, it's time to start climbing. I have your victory. I have the strength. You can trust me. Everything you need is gonna be met with you on the way up the mountain. The trial you're going through now could be the very training God has given you for the victory that lies ahead. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in this very moment, even when it looks like you're doing nothing, you're doing something. Training us, growing us, transforming us, giving us muscles, giving us the capacity to do what we couldn't do on our own, shouldn't do on our own. And Lord, we're trusting you today to help us to scale these mountains that lie ahead of us. You speak in your word. You say grace, grace to the mountain. That doesn't mean that you move the mountain. It means that you give us grace to conquer the mountain ahead of us. God, train us up. Give us the discipline to spend time with the one that we love, our Savior, to imitate, to impersonate who you are and replicate you fully here on the earth. God, I know today is a little bit of a challenge of a message because it, it requires us to go out and do something, to reach those who have not been reached, to represent you well, even in our flesh and our mistakes and our brokenness. So Lord, cover us with your strength, cover us with your mighty power. Give us your wisdom that you gave Solomon, give your son Jesus, bathe us in your glory so that we can go out and make disciples that make disciples. Put that in our spirit, God. Let it take root. You've called us to this region for a reason. We agree with it today. In Jesus' name, let every voice say amen. Amen.